special morning and just a little teaser here. Sometimes uh, you're trying to dig out of a natural disaster, one that you had uh, really nothing to do with. It just overcame you. An act of God, the insurance companies call it. Sometimes you are digging out of a self-made disaster. And we will hear a story about that this morning and how God can help you do that and uh, not only bring forgiveness, but also bring the power to change and transform your life. Um, I want to start out this morning, I came across something the other day, a story that I just wanted to read you uh, that has, I think, something to do with the All In initiative that we're going to be launching into very shortly. I believe this is a true story. It goes like this. Once upon a time, there was an old well that stood outside the front door of the family farmhouse somewhere in New Hampshire. The water from the well was remarkably cold and pure. No matter how hot the summer and no matter how severe the drought, the well was always a source of refreshment and joy. The faithful old well stood for years, and eventually the farmhouse was modernized. Wiring brought electric lights. Indoor plumbing was installed with hot and cold running water. The old well was no longer needed, and so it was sealed for use only in future emergency uh, need there. One day, however, someone had a hankering for that cold, pure water from that familiar old well. So he unsealed the well and lowered a bucket for a nostalgic taste of that delightful, refreshing water that he remembered from his youth. He was shocked to discover that the well that once had survived the severest droughts was now bone dry. Perplexed, he began to ask some of the older folks who knew about these kinds of things, and he learned that wells of that sort were fed by hundreds of tiny underground rivulets which seep a steady flow of water into a well. As long as water is drawn out of the well, new water flows through the rivulets, keeping them open for more to flow. But when the water stops flowing, the rivulets clog with mud and they close up. Isn't that interesting? The well dried up not because too much water had been drawn out of it, but because it wasn't used enough. That got me thinking about this rhythm, this flow of God's presence all around us every single day. It's there for us to draw from the comfort, the, the peace, the power, the perspective, the wisdom. This habit, right, of, of drawing, uh, of, of dropping our bucket down into that and drawing from that well of wisdom and doing that every day, then we are open to the rhythm of the Spirit. Our heart is kept open. And that brings us, I think, to, to what we're getting ready to launch into that I'm very excited about all in. One of the most important habits, one of the most important daily ways that we draw into the presence of, of God is to regularly experience Him in His Word, to be listening, to be listening to the voice of the Father. So, 
As a church family, you've heard us talk about this around here the last few weeks. Talk about it some more because I want to get you excited about it. It's going to be a big year for us. As a church family, um, we are going to read through the Bible in its entirety together in 2016. By together, I don't mean in here, big readings. But we are going to go out, we're going to read, and then we're going to share experiences and connect with each other about what we're hearing the Lord tell us. It takes about 15 minutes a day. Okay, that's the, that's the commitment. That's how long it's going to take you to drop that bucket down there and draw from that wellspring about 15 minutes a day if you decide to go all in with us. Thank you, Todd Miller, for a note that you sent about you and Suzanne a week ago. Uh, Todd, one of our shepherds, said, Gordon, thanks for taking this initiative to challenge the members to daily Bible, to daily reading of the Bible. Suzanne and I look forward to being part of All In and sharing this experience with our fellow Preston Crest members, and in doing so, to be drawn closer to God and to one another as a family. Thank you. Amen. That's the way I feel as well. So I hope that you have decided to join us in kind of this unique experience. Obviously, you can read the Bible any year you want, any time you want, but to do it together, to walk through the same readings each week and then see them integrated into our services on Sunday, to see people posting on our social media uh, sites, I think it's going to be a really unique, one-of-a-kind year for us in 2016. So if you're all in, this is what needs just a little bit of explaining, and I'll explain this again next week because there are a lot of folks gone today. But if you're all in, Um, One of the ways that you can demonstrate your decision and also encourage others is by making use of the giant banner that is out in our lobby. You probably saw that when you came in this morning, like 16-foot long banner. And what we're after on that banner, there are sheets of stickers that say, I'm all in. And either uh, put your initials on there or, or write, I'm all in on there. There's Sharpies up there. Or just take the sticker and put a blank sticker on there. But just to show that you're going to be part of this, I think it's not only going to be something that reminds you of your commitment, but encourages uh, the sisters and brothers here at Preston Crest. Eventually, here in a month or so, uh, more or less, we're going to hang it uh, up under the crow's nest so that we can look at that and be reminded of that as we leave uh, our gatherings, our worship gatherings each week. So I hope that makes sense. If that didn't make sense, then come talk to me and say, I didn't get that. Uh, basically, if you're going to participate in All In, grab a sticker, put it, on the, put it on the banner back there. I think a few have uh, already. So um, we're going to officially launch this next Sunday. Uh, and I really, I really can't wait to see uh, how the Lord is going to minister Uh, to us and among us in the next year. Only good things happen uh, when we open his word together. So, today. This is, we knew going in before the storms and the tornado sirens went off last night, we knew this was going to be kind of a strange Sunday. It's kind of a tweener Sunday for us. Between Christmas, New Year's, lots of people traveling, so we already knew we're not going to be able to have children's classes, we're not going to be able to have our teen classes. The one Uh, Sunday of the year that for the past few years we've seen it's just very hard to make that happen Uh, so we were already expecting that we weren't expecting tornadic devastation we got that too Um, but I think that kind of it puts things in perspective it makes things real I think it makes us cherish things that really matter hold people a little closer and maybe things not quite so close it is also um, 
besides all of that, it's just the time of year when a lot of us are already thinking about, man, um, I really want to do this or, uh, in 2016. There's something about me that I would like to improve or I'd like to change. I'd like to lose a few pounds or I'd like to learn a foreign language next year or I'd like to do better at saving money. I'd like to start tithing. I'd, start to, uh, I'd, I'd like to start reading. I'd like to read through the Bible for the first time in my life uh, in 2016. Maybe so, something like that. Uh, maybe you're thinking about something very practical like I need to dig out in 2016 of, of the loss I suffered last night. Or like I mentioned already, maybe you're thinking, um, I'd like to dig out of a, of a self-made crisis, you know, that, that's been in the making for years because of my own poor choices. Um, wh- whichever be the case, small things, big things, uh, crisis things, or just improvement things, um, this is a great time to be thinking about that. And so this morning, I hope uh, our time together will kind of give you a shove, you know, in the right direction, an encouragement, an inspiration, as we have a special guest here in just uh, a few moments. Um, So we'll get to hear that about what happens really when faith awakens, when the faith awakens in your heart, and how that propels you to become the person that you are always meant to be. Um, But before we get there, I want to tell you about a a person, an individual in the Bible who you're probably quite familiar with. When I think of before and after, when I think of people who have made a change, who really became a different person, there are a lot of examples in Scripture, but I think of Paul, right? He even has the Saul and Paul, right? The before and after names. Um, So Saul and Paul, that's who I think about. To put it in very contemporary terms because we think of St. Paul, we think about this amazing who, who wrote, you know, probably the most quoted chapter at weddings, right? 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. We think of this amazing human being that gave himself for others, that loved people who were different, who were outsiders, Gentiles, um, this, this amazing person. We think of that person, but in contemporary terms, before he became that person, quite frankly, he was, he was a religious terrorist, okay? He was the kind of person that makes us today very, very nervous, okay? He really was. Um, I mean, he went around hunting Christians, right? He was a Christian hunter. And he went after men and women and children and anybody who professed to put faith in Jesus Christ. He broke down doors. He took squads of soldiers with him, armed men, to capture people, drag them off to Jerusalem to face trial and, and very likely execution. So that was Paul before, the captain of this uh, movement that was terrorizing, right, the, the early church. So it's very easy, I know, it's very easy to kind of... Uh, Paint this as a caricature, this very black and white image of he was all bad before he met Jesus, and he was all good after he... It's not that simple. We know it's not that simple. I mean, Paul was, before his conversion, he was a great guy to people in his group. Um, to people playing on his team. He was considered a very admirable, honorable, um, passionate, zealous, um, strong man, strong leader. If you were a believer in Christ, however, he was a terrorist, okay? If you were a believer in Christ, he was a villain, to be sure. 
Um, so here is, here is a highly abridged version of, of what happened. Um, you remember he had a personal encounter with Jesus. You probably remember where? On the road to Damascus. A personal encounter with Jesus who had been crucified and who had been resurrected, who had ascended to heaven. Well, now he's appearing on this highway outside of Damascus to the Apostle Paul. Um, Paul, like I said, very abridged version. Paul gave his life to Jesus Christ, surrendered himself to Jesus Christ, was baptized in the name of Jesus Christ there in Damascus, Syria, and then connected to the flow, connected to the rhythm of what God was doing in the world through Jesus, through the kingdom of God, through the gospel. Paul was then launched into this life of ministry and purpose like the one we started out talking about, that man who has been so influential in our lives and in every century since his conversion, bringing hope to people all across the Roman world and now into the modern world through his amazing letters. Well, Several places in his letters, he gives a personal testimony, almost like looking into his, his diary, if you will. Well, one time he shares a bit of his story to his favorite, I think you can safely call it his favorite church anywhere, okay? It was the church in Philippi. And he wrote um, some, some pretty vulnerable, um, some pretty open kind of words about his Story about his journey. And so that's where we want to kind of center our, our thinking around this morning in Philippians chapter 3. When I think about old and new, before and after, I think about Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 7 from the NIV. Paul, thinking of the past, he says, Whatever was, whatever was to my prophet, I now count loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness. I like that. The surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things I consider them all rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own okay, that comes from the law, but that which is based, that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. So Paul says, I want to know Christ, the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead, and then modesty, I think honest modesty here, not that I have attained all of this or have already been made perfect. He says, I'm not perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do. Great verse for the new year here. One thing I do, 
forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal and the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul had a lot to forget about. He had a lot of things, as we know, on his highlight reel. Well, he had a lot of things on his low light reel. Forgetting what is past, I press on. I press on. So as we think about the new year, as we think about being launched in the love of Christ, um, I want you just to jot down a few things. This is going to go very quickly because I really want to get to our, our inter- interview this morning and have plenty of time for that. The first bullet point is this, just a few takeaways from the scripture this morning. The turning point, I'm thinking about Paul and I'm thinking about you and I. The turning point between who I am today, right now, and who I can become is the choice to surrender my life to Jesus Christ. The before and after for Paul had a dividing line in the middle that was more of a cross. It was Jesus Christ. That was the, the pivot point where he swung in an entirely new direction, a better direction, a grace-oriented, love-filled direction. So the key decision Paul made that began this transformation process was to raise the white flag and surrender. It's not a notion that we normally think of as being a positive thing. It is one of the hardest things in the world for a person to do, and it is absolutely necessary if you are to come to Christ and experience the power of His resurrection, you've got to raise the white flag. You have to surrender. When Paul uses these words, Jesus, quote, my Lord. That's what he says. Jesus, my Lord. He's saying, I'm no longer Lord of my life. I'm no longer CEO of my life. I've raised the white flag. I've turned it over to Jesus. He's recognizing the kingship of Jesus, the sovereignty of Jesus. He's recognizing that Jesus has reigned dominion over his life. So that's the key decision that begins this process of becoming a new person. The second thing there, second bullet point. The freedom and the joy, so that started now. The freedom and the joy to continue moving forward. Despite my failures, everybody has them. Everybody makes mistakes. Everybody sins, okay? The freedom and joy to continue moving forward despite all of that is faith in the Lord's love and grace. Not in my performance. I certainly want to improve that. But ultimately, my faith is in the grace and love of Christ. He puts it this way in verses 8 and 9. I may gain Christ and be found In him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. You know all about your sins and failures. God certainly does. Um, And he has dealt with all of that at the cross. And he has gifted you. He has graced you with the righteousness of Jesus. 
When God looks at you, he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Hard to believe? True. It's written in the Word of God. 1 Timothy, uh, you probably remember this phrase. You may not remember where it came from, but he wrote a letter, Paul did, to Timothy. And in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, remember Paul labeled himself as the chief of... Yeah. I am the chief of sinners. I'm the worst of the worst. And he, didn't, and he had done a lot of bad things. Terrorized a lot of people, among other things. But he didn't, think about this, Paul didn't let the guilt and shame of his past keep him from experiencing the grace and love of Christ. And that grace and love freed him up to do things differently. Not to be the same person, but to become a different and better person. The third lesson. My life gains momentum when I move toward the Lord's plans for me, for my future, and I'm not dwelling in the prison of the past. Okay? Versus getting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which Christ has called me heavenward. God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Some people, and you know people like this, you may be one of these people, in the prison of the past, they are unable to break free to a better future. They simply can't break out of old ways of thinking, old ways of behaving. They can't break free from the shame that they feel over things that they have done in the past. And while the grace of Christ Jesus helps us break those chains, also His love and purpose are almost like, almost like a giant magnet pulling us towards something better. Pulling us, Paul would say, heavenward, right? It's pulling us into becoming a, a different person here and now and ultimately toward this reunion we're going to have in heaven with Christ. Okay, now, here's where I've been. This has all been a setup to get here. One of the things that, I, that really gets me excited, that really gets my pulse going here at Preston Crest is I get to hear your stories. I hear them all the time. I see things on Facebook. I talk to you. We have coffee, all sorts of things. I get to hear a lot of different stories, and everybody has a different story. Um, and God seems to, in each of our stories, God reveals something a little bit different about his nature. You're able to appreciate his grace and his power in different ways when you hear different stories. And recently, one of the stories I've gotten to hear is that of Tanner Lollies. Okay, Tanner, I'm just going to introduce you a little bit before I bring you up here. Tanner is a member here. His, he and his wife... Deanna are both members here. Deanna are members here along with Haven and Margot, their two daughters. Um, you might remember back, it was a week or two around Easter, I think the last time we did the food trucks, he was behind me painting, okay? As I was preaching, he was actually painting a beautiful picture uh, called House of Love, um, which is really the defining uh, feature of his ministry of art, which is the love of God moves him, and he loves to share that with people. And, and he was... He was putting in visual uh, terms how we as a church are going to be this house of love, this beacon of love in our city of Dallas. Um, Tanner is, a lot of people, are, you hear the word artist and you think starving artist. Well, Tanner is a successful artist, okay? One of the few. Uh, he has a gallery over here at Valley View, as also has a, val, uh, a gallery up at Willow Bend Mall in Plano. Um, so he's successful, but, but there's a story behind his art. Um, it is the story of a real person 
It is the story of a flawed man who has found in Christ wholeness, who has found in Christ a unique calling, who has found in Christ his identity. And like the Apostle Paul, um, Jesus got a grip on Tanner's life, and Jesus is not turning loose. Tanner, why don't you come on up? And uh, we're just going to share a few minutes before we, we wrap up our time. Let's give him a hand. Tanner Lolly. good to have you with us, brother. Thank you, sir. Here you go. Thanks for joining us, brother. No problem. Check one, check one. Okay. I believe that's working. <laughs> All right, Tanner. Um, first, I got to ask you, before, right off the bat, before we get into your story uh, or stories, what do you think about All In? I think it's great. I think we, um, I mean, so much of life is just doing it, you know, mm -hmm. going for it. And um, it's going to be hard to, um, you know, Every day something's going to come up. The devil's going to get in the way, try to keep us from doing that. But our job is just to do our best today, you know, and then each day push through it. And if we miss it, forgive yourself, right. you know, make it up the next day and just push through, you know. And um, I've, never read, I've never read the Bible all the way through. Mm -hmm. I always get lost in numbers or, you know, somewhere in the Old Testament, I'm sure, which most of us uh, have a hard time getting through that 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 stage uh, or those books and but um, I think it's great and I know it'll push me to to do my best and and uh, I'll commit to doing it and Amen. I know you'll hold me to it and everybody else you're hearing me uh, <laughs> commit to it so uh, test me and got a lot of and, witnesses and if uh, if I don't do it then call me out on it I'm so. in too okay. I'm excited about it I think it's going to help this year also just having a lot of people pulling on the same rope in the same direction to kind of fight through the, the doldrums of Leviticus together you know <laughs> uh, I think it'll go better okay you and I have talked a lot about your life I've heard a lot of different stories some of which can be shared here some of which probably better not be shared here but just um Give, me, give us an idea about your teenage years, kind of the tumultuous Tanner Lolly teenage years. Oh, man, how much time we got? Uh, <laughs> I see our clock's blinking up there. So it is currently 9.02. You know, I grew up in the church at five, or we, we became Christians at five. Uh, that's when kind of everything changed for us. Uh, but, you know, I remember the very first... Um, you know, Bible verse was Second Timothy three sixteen and seventeen. You know, uh, that was something that I learned at five years old. But grew up in very strict, conservative, you know, Church of Christ and small town, and going through you know middle school and everything. It was something that we did as our daily routine was you know reading the Bible and studying the Word. And then when I got into um, high school, I was. Fear had always controlled my life. I was always worried about what someone thought about me or what someone said about me. or, And that shaped um, the way that I thought about myself. You know, So because of that, I didn't really know who I was. And I didn't um, have any confidence whatsoever in me or my abilities. You know, So a lot of times that got me into trouble. You know, I was a, uh, a kid that I just, when everybody zigged, I zagged. Mm -hmm. And um, just always being wired that way. I don't know if it was comes from having the last name of Lawley, which I was more lawless, you know, for okay. for, for many years. <laughs> and um, but you know, there's pretty much one story that kind of sums up my high school, you know, in, in those years. Um, 
you know, I was a freshman in high school and uh, we got out of school early that day, a teacher in service or s something, but we got out around noon. So I went home, I was 14 years old, and I decided I wanted to go to a friend of mine's house around the corner, you know, around the corner, a mile and a half down the road, and we're out in the country. So I called my mom up and she was at work and I said, hey mom, I'm going to go to Patrick's house. Um, is that okay? Sure. I didn't tell her that I was going to take the van, you know, so um, <clears throat> I took our conversion van out of the garage and, and drove it out and went over to Patrick's house. And as I was leaving, you know, this is gravel roads and stuff. Um, you know, I don't know if it was being 6'5 at 14, you know, and big size 16 shoes, you know, but uh, my foot got caught between the gas and the brake. Mm. So uh, as I was pulling out of this gravel road, I hit the brake a little too much, or sorry, I hit the, uh, the gas a little too much. Well, I started, I went over into this ditch and then back into this ditch and I finally hit the brake. Well, I flipped the van oh, no. in the, in the, um, you know, um, the, the little ditch. Yeah. Well, it flipped over and then it flipped back over on its side. I mean, I can remember myself reaching, you know, like, oh, I mean, I'm tossing and turning and just, you know, crazy. Well, it finally popped back over on its side. Well, I flipped out. I mean, I just, I got out of the car and there were people there, uh, some, some neighbors that, that saw it I went to school with. And, you know, I was going to my friend's house to go pick up a, a little magazine that I probably shouldn't have been reading at that time, mm. you know. But, uh, and this magazine had, uh, let's just say, uh, a lady on um, Wheel of Fortune. Okay. We'll just put it at that. She was in that magazine. Okay. So, okay. Uh, you know, 14-year-old doing this. Well, I got so scared that I went and gave this magazine to those guys. I said, go take this and give it back to Patrick. I don't want to get caught with this. You know, so I was focused on You're that. already worried about that. I was focused yeah. on that. <laughs> well, um, we had to be, you know, I was able to drive the van back home, went into the house, you know, and parked it in the garage and was so scared to death, mm. you know, because my dad, I was just worried about him handling his business on my behind, you know, mm -hmm. and letting me know who the boss was. Well, I went and hid in a, in a neighboring barn for several hours, you know, while they put out a search party trying to find me mm -hmm. type of stuff. I didn't go, <laughs> I didn't, um, I didn't go to basketball practice that afternoon, which we were supposed to come back for that. Mm. And uh, well, the next day at school, when I, you know, got back in there, everybody started calling me Vanner. You know, so that was my new nickname was Vanner. Vanner White is uh, oh, <laughs> is boy. what they called me. Okay. Uh, and so uh, I did, it was so bad that my dad never punched me. You know, I was, they didn't know what to do, you know, but my parents lost the insurance on the van. They couldn't get insured for, you know, and this was a pretty new van, maybe, maybe 5,000 miles or 10,000 oh. <laughs> miles on it. Wow. And, uh, well, then I got in trouble in basketball practice because I missed practice. Well, the coach decided that he wanted to punish me. So I had to run around the gym <clears throat> for a week straight, you know, for two hours. And I ran. Well, as you can tell, I probably didn't run enough, you know, <laughs> at that time. But uh, that pretty much sums up how I was. I was that kid that... I would tell you I'm going to do something, but I wouldn't tell you exactly how I was going to do it. Mm. You know, so that was one of those life lessons that I learned at a young age, you know, and I still won't drive a van today. So, gotcha. <laughs> I wouldn't either. Okay, let's. So we've kind of dropped it in there in the teenage years, rebellious kid. Um, you like to 
to maintain appearances on the outside, but really you're doing other stuff back here. Um, things only got more interesting, let's say, as you, you go through college, you graduate from college. Tell us a little bit about some choices you made there out of college. You know, and I went to Freed Hardeman University, and uh, I was just a great actor, you know. I mean, I was just, I played church, um, which I think as a teenager, it's easy to do. You know, we're, we're put in the, um, in, in the habit of going, you know, and a lot of times you, I don't think you really understand God or his presence and, and that side of it. So, you know, I was just an actor, but, you know, through college, you know, I acted the whole way, but I was always, I was getting in trouble. You know, I came home uh, between my freshman and sophomore year and got running with the wrong crowd. I was always influenced by other people. I was a follower mm -hmm. um, and uh, still no confidence in myself. Um, and, you know, broke into convenience stores, stole stuff, you know, have scars on my body from experiences like that. Um, even my senior year, uh, before I was going to graduate, my first semester of my senior year, um, went in, running with the wrong crowd, uh, got into this little, started stealing stuff out of stores. And, okay, Dan, let me interrupt you. So, <laughs> so you're at Reed Hardeman. You are... Are you, what are you majoring in? Um, I was, um, I changed from Bible okay, you know, okay. at the time. Uh, so you had been a Bible major at I one was, point at least. I was a Bible major. I was going to be a preacher or everybody wanted me to pre be a preacher, but my biggest fear is getting up in front of a crowd, you know, and um, going through what I've been through, I look forward to tackling fear, you know, because that's something. Mm. I have to warn you, there's a leak in the ceiling up here, so <laughs> the water might come down and run through my face. But, uh, you know, fear is something that will take control of you, mm -hmm. and it will hold you back. Mm -hmm. And But faith is the exact opposite, it's just believing that you can do something. Mm -hmm. Neither one's happened yet, you know. And fear is just, you know, saying that, oh, I can't do this, what will happen, you know. Right. But faith is believing I can do this, I'm going to own this, and I'm going to push through it no matter what, mm -hmm. you know. So... Um, you know, being that I've, you know, I have visions of seeing myself speak in front of 40, 50,000 people, mm -hmm. you know, and that's something that I want to do later in life, but it's because I don't want fear in my life in any point, any shape in any of that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, but during that time I had uh, switched to business, you know, because it okay. was the easy way out. I'm an easy way out kind of guy, you know, okay. um, and you've been breaking into stores and kind of. But you're not getting caught. At this not point. getting caught. But, you know, I had, you know, growing up in the church, I had that foundation that I knew what I was doing was wrong. Mm. And so it would always convict me and I would want to uh, make it right. You know, so I'm the dummy that would pull off a big crime and then feel really bad about it. I say dummy in the, in the criminal world, I'm a dummy, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, but I would just, um, you know, go try to make it right. So, you know, my senior year, I had you know, stolen a bunch of stuff with this guy, you know, at a, you know, store and we would go try to trade them back in and, or get, get cash for them, you know, take merchandise, take merchandise and maybe return it, it at a, another store. Exactly. Okay. Return it at another, get cash for it. Well, this happened my senior year. I was a part-time student about 10 hours that semester. 
Well, I felt bad about it, and I went to another guy that worked at the store, and I said, hey, I took all this stuff. Will you return it for me? Will you just put it back on the shelf so I know we're square? Well, he decided to uh, make up this big elaborate thing that he overheard me talking about it and went to the management, so he was a hero. Uh, well, they called the school. They got both of us, so we got kicked out of school in my senior year. Um, they weren't going to let me return. Um, and... I ended up returning, took 28 hours of courses my last semester, and graduated. Mm -hmm. So, you know, but I, I was, again, that kid. Zag, z you know, zigzag. I, I just automatically went that way. But having that foundation in the church brought, I think it gave me that stable foundation of knowing right or wrong. It was and like that awareness was there. Exactly. Even when you were making some bad choices. Yep. Well, you were only kind of getting started on bad choices. Oh, yeah. So yeah. you earned your advanced degree in bad choices PhD. right after college. Yeah. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about that, if you would. Well, when I got out of... Um, when I got out of Freed Hardeman, I moved to Nashville and um, got running with another bad crowd. You know, didn't have many friends there. Moved there for a girl. That didn't work out. You know, she was out of my league and I was unaware of it, <laughs> you know. Um, and, you know, so I ended up getting a job at a bar as a goodwill ambassador, as they called them. So we were bouncers. bouncers. AKA yeah. bouncers. Exactly. And, uh, but I had martial arts training for most of my life. So trained fighter, uh, knew how to handle myself uh, and handle the people, you know, in the same time frame. So I started, um, you know, I basically broke up a big fight my first night in the club, you know, big guy, bigger than me and, uh, studied pressure points through college. So I was able to drop him to his knees, uh, while everybody else was like, you know, what's going on. So, um, you know, and at the time I didn't drink or anything. So, but the owner of the bar had came up and says, I want to buy this guy's tab. Let me pay for your tab for helping out. And uh, the bartender said, well, he's drinking water. You know, he's not really doing anything. So uh, I think I was smoking cigarettes at the time. So he bought me a couple of packs of cigarettes, you know. And uh, But I ended up getting a job out of it. And because I was always a people person, um, you know, I had worked in restaurants through college uh, for extra money. And uh, waiting tables at Chili's, actually. You know, worked at this one back in college for a little bit. Um, and... You know, I just started getting influenced by the wrong people, you know, and then um, after I started building these nightclubs and, you know, traveling around the country, opening up different nightclubs and okay. training staffs and things like that, how to handle people, how to talk to people, you know, I got running with some guys that were drug dealers, you know, big time drug dealers uh, that sold to celebrities and, and I became their muscle, you know, but I also saw... I had a love for money from a young age, you know, and I, and I wanted as much money as possible. And I just had that desire to go out mm. and get money or get things by mm. any means necessary. Sometimes that was stealing. Sometimes it was whatever, you know, but, uh, I had that, that in me and, um, you know, basically running with the wrong crowd so much that I started to see things that you see in the movies, you know, being a part of big, big time drug deals, you know, mm -hmm. and being the muscle and being strapped with a gun and being shot at. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, that side of it, pretty dark. And, um, you know, one day we, uh, I was living with this guy and I just moved back from St. Louis off of a job and, 
Uh, we were partying all night, way into the morning. I should have been at work that morning, but I was too drugged up to be able to go to work, you know. And I was like, okay, I'll go to the later, you know, the, I could have went in at 11 or 5. Well, I, I thought of going at 5, and this was 11 o'clock in the morning with my heart racing 198 beats per minute, you know. Um, pouring drugs in me to, to come down off of it, and... Mm-hmm. Metro Vice busted in. You know they had. Um, this is this is Nashville. This is Nashville. Nashville. Okay. Yeah, and uh, when um, you know they busted in about one thirty-seven in the afternoon, and I'd just fallen asleep from taking a bunch of stuff to get me to go to sleep. And um, you know they were there for my roommate that I lived with for about two weeks, and had never seen some of the drugs before until two weeks prior. Um, and this was about a year day for day of me graduating from Freed Hardeman with business degrees, you know, and I mean, it had taken control of me that quick. Um, and you know, basically spit me out, you know, the world grabbed me up and spit me out. Well, when you wake up from, you know, that level of drugs in your system with shotguns in your face, dogs, you know, when the cops busted in, they busted in and it was 15 of them, you know? And um, they actually, um, you know, had cuffed me, threw me up against the wall, uh, you know, and you're thinking about it now, if I would have pulled up out of my sheets or something, I could have been shot, you know, especially in today's time, you know, um, a lot of people have a quick, quick trigger, you know, mm-hmm. and especially with bad guys. And uh, well, they threw me up against the wall, dislocated my shoulder, cuffed me, so I was, um, mm. I was cuffed, you know, um, for hours. I mean, I lost track of I mean, it. Was eight or nine hours that we were there, where they were trying to get us to set up other people and do all this stuff. And they had my guy, you know, they were there for him. I didn't. I was so new in the game, but I mean, I remember. You know, them having to uncuff me because my nose was bleeding and cocaine was poured out my nose, you know, mm-hmm. and. Wow. Hey, Tanner, uh, we're, <laughs> I hate to do this, but we're going to, we've got about five minutes. Okay. So what we want to do, we've done a lot of before stuff and there's a lot more that we could do. But oh, yeah, take us, take us to prison because you were there um, and take us through kind of that, that moment of change and. <laughs> and the redemptive side of the story that begins to occur. Yeah, I did. Um, I got sentenced to a, a nine-year sentence, uh, one year day for day. And um, mm. eight years probation. So when I went in, I had all the friends in the world. When I got out, I had my family. <laughs> that was it. And, and mm. half those, you know, half my family didn't want to have anything to do with me. You know, I remember getting letters, you know, like, how could you do this, you know, this type of stuff mm-hmm. when I was in there. But uh, because I'm a survivor, you know, I just, I'm a hustler, you know, I always do something. So I started drawing in there and I started just copying stuff. You know, this is right after September 11th, you know, so a lot of things going on in the world, you know, that were a real just hard stuff to go through but I drew every day and I found myself just drawing and sketching stuff and that's how I made a living in there actually I was getting money for my drawings I would do drawings for prison guards and they would bring me Taco Bell you know in lockdown at nighttime, or uh, they would let me know if there was gonna be a shakedown and I would hide my stuff really good you know because I had 
homemade tattoo guns. I had, you know, all kinds of stuff, but I was kind of like a MacGyver when I was in there. And, uh, but still bucking the system, you know. Um, but there was, there was one moment that really connected with me. And uh, there was a guy named uh, Charles Webb, and he was a level three intern. I was in a drug rehab program inside okay. of the prison uh, that if you did this and graduated from it, you would get out early, you know. Mm-hmm. So I ended up only having to do nine months and two days of a year sentence because I graduated this program. But uh, I'd got put on a quiet chair list, and in this facility, if the quiet chair, yeah, okay. if, if someone could. Um, if someone could hear you within 10 feet away, you're being too loud. And they'd put you on a list. You'd have to go grab a chair, get up on the catwalk, and face the wall. And stay there until they told you to come down. And not make a noise. And not, not make a noise, not do anything. You could rock, you could do stuff like that, but you couldn't, you know, turn around. And no books, nothing to occupy your time. Nothing. Just you know, there. nothing but your mind, you know. But I started, and they tried to butt me, you know. They, they, tried, to break, they tried to break me, and I was so egotistical. I was like, you know, these people... You know, I went to college. I, I'm smarter than everybody. You can't break me, all this kind of stuff, and that ego taking control. And, um, you know, one day I got put up on a bogus list, and I was in my room asleep. You know, they called me out, and I'm like, how am I? You know, so I went out and got the chair. Well, the whole time I was mad. They called me down after about an hour, and I didn't go down. I was like, I'm not leaving. You know, you're not going to break me. And um, after four or five hours, one of the other... Um, you know, one of the level three interns that had graduated the program was actually an ex-crackhead. You know, he came up to me and he's like, what's going on? You know, and I was like, you know, I didn't do nothing. Uh, they put me up here for no reason. I was in my bunk asleep. And, and he said, you know what? Someone else didn't do it. <laughs> leak again. Uh, <laughs> someone else didn't do anything. And he was talking about Jesus. And he said, you know, Jesus, you know, mm-hmm. they killed him, murdered him, spent his face. And he did nothing. You know, it. Wow. And that connected with you, obviously. That was the first time that I really understood a Christian's persecution, you know, and and going through that. Mm. But, you know, that's when it pretty much all changed for me. You know, I started um, really getting in the word, but I started getting into my mind. You know, when, when I was in those, right before I graduated, they put me in the quiet chair for five days straight, you know, and I could go in to eat and sleep and that was it in bathroom you know uh but for five days i i visualized um playing golf mm-hmm. with your dad or mm-hmm. you know things like that but I, I started just um i started learning how strong the mind is you know and when the mind goes somewhere the body will follow i mean you can sit and stay quiet and close your eyes and visualize anything you want and you feel like you're there in that present moment, you know, and that was something that I learned about my mind that I had no control, you know, I had no previous experience of, or I didn't get it, you know, and now, you know, I feel that's where faith comes in, you know, and, and when we think, you know, when we pray, we have a direct connection with God mm-hmm. and he hears everything, but he also gives us what we talk about, what we think about, what we you know, what we visualize mm-hmm. and what we manifest into our life, you know. And, uh, you know, a few years later, uh, I got out, you know, I got, got out after about nine months, came back and worked at the DMA, you know, the Dallas Museum of Arts, and would build and tear down exhibits. And uh, my dad was the uh, production manager at the time. 
And uh, so I was always around art, you know, and then I ended up getting a job as a handyman, which I've been a handyman for some of the people here in, in, in this congregation fixing stuff, you know, yeah. and those are things that I learned while I was in prison, you know, and well, I started hanging out with these artists and watching them paint and, and doing, hanging their art and doing all that stuff. And I said, man, I can do this. And uh, of course my mentor said, no, you can't. You don't have what it takes. You, you can't learn color. This isn't one of your God-given gifts. You don't have it. You'll never be an artist. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, <laughs> you don't know me and my God very well. So uh, that was something that um, was stories of David versus Goliath and you know things like that that we were raised on. Right. I said, I know anything that I decide to do and I focus on, which we all do what we focus on. That is one of our gifts of being a human and being created in God's image is that we get what we think about. We get what we focus on and we do what we focus on. So I just said, uh, okay, well, I'm going to paint out of love and abundance daily until I die. Paint out of love and abundance daily until I die. And the abundance part is just do it um, without ceasing. You know, that is just go for it. I mean, give everything you got to it and just push through it. And every day I paint, you know, but I paint symbols of love daily. And I've sold thousands of them, you know. And, mm-hmm. But I'm taking something that an art professor would say, don't do this. Don't paint hearts. I know you want to paint hearts, but don't paint hearts. But, you know. We know with the Bible that God is love, mm-hmm. and love covers a multitude of sins, right. and I'm a sinner of sinners. I mean, I've done everything mm. except for kill somebody. Never killed anybody, but there was a few times where I had so much drugs and steroids pumping through my body that I had an anger, you know, from being bullied and, you know, um, abusive type things that I went through. and. Uh, I mean, I remember beating people to an inch of their life, you know, just had that anger and it came out of me. Well, now I don't have anger anymore. From that to love, abundance of love and ministry that pours out of that. Just to wrap up here, I want you to talk just for a second. We don't have much time, but talk for a second about how you look at people now. The people you used to hang out with, people that are, you know, have messed up their lives, criminals, drug addicts. How do you look at those people um, and, and how did your ministry influence um, where you're headed right now, Tanner? Well, because I've painted so many hearts, you know, and I, but I look for love in people. You know, I look for Jesus in people. I believe that since we're all made in his image, we all reflect his image in some way, shape, or form. And so when I see people now, like, I love you. I love you. I love you. You know, but I think each one of you are perfect just as you are. I wouldn't change a thing about anybody, but I have no problem looking at people now and even tell them straight to their face. Hey, I love you, you know, and, um, Mm -hmm. I think you're perfect, you know, and that's something that I think we need to hear. Uh, and I think that's something that better yet, we need to tell people. And when you can get in the habit of telling people that you love them and you think they're perfect, you start seeing the perfection in yourself. And you start, when you see that and you reflect on that, or when you have that mindset, people see it in you and they start treating you that way. It's like, I live in a point now, 15 years ago, I was getting shot at, you know, and now I get hugs and kisses all day from collectors all over the world that when they see one of my paintings, they think of God in that moment. Now they may think of someone that they love, but if God is love, then everybody that thinks of love, you're thinking of God because mm-hmm. he is the ultimate level of goodness in God this is world. God is love. Without a doubt. 
you know, and that's something that uh, it's a habit you have to form, you know, and so many times as, especially in the church of Christ, we have a judgmental, you know, side to us that, you know, we we're special and we, you know, people that aren't of us, mm. you know, or the way I was raised, you know, people that aren't of us are, are lacking something. But, you know, when we can learn to flip that switch and change the way that we look at people and see them for Jesus, you know, that they're, they're, they're part of Jesus just like we are. Mm. Then it all changes. You know, then you can walk in his sight. You can walk in his ways. You can, you know, walk in the flow of things, mm-hmm. you know, right. just like coming up here in the last few days, I had every little thing that was happening that was mm-hmm. trying to keep me from doing this. And I said, no, I'm not going to do it. Devil, you're not going to win because that's fear. That's believing that something's going to happen bad. I'm going to get up here and break down like a faucet, you know, mm-hmm. but I'm as emotional as they come. But now I know through perseverance, faith, enthusiasm, those are godly things. And when we can learn to use that in our life and project that to others, uh, God is shown. Amen, brother. Thank you, Tanner. Let's give him a round of applause. That's awesome. Wow. I like that story because it's real. Um, he's a real person with real struggles, um, just like Paul is willing to be honest about those. And like the rest of us, Tanner is a work in progress. We all are. We're on a journey in Christ. We have been set free from sin. We have been launched by his love into a totally new way of living and a totally new way of looking at other people and even seeing the image of God in some pretty messed up lives. And Tanner is able to do that now. And, uh, and minister through that. Um, Paul was a work in progress. I want you to listen um, to what he wrote in Romans 3, 23, 24 about all of us as we finish out. He said, Paul said, for everyone, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, with undeserved kindness, declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that why we're here worshiping today? Isn't that why we have hope that 2016 can be different than 2015? This morning, if you want to give your life to Christ, be baptized into him, you can do that with us. If you just need prayers, we'd invite you to get together with someone around you and pray or pray with me or one of our shepherds. But come before God. God loves you. God is love. And God can change things from this day forward if you put your faith in him and line up with his kingdom purposes for your life. Let's respond to him as we stand together and worship.